Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Carolyn Archie in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast and thank you to Carolyn Archie, who you heard there introducing the show with a voice like molasses. What an absolutely extraordinary, beautiful accent Carolyn has. A wonderful way to start the show. Bit of backstory for you on Carolyn. Um, She won the American Tennis Association National Tournament in the 12 to 15 age bracket in 1957, travelling with the junior team coached by, and uh, friends of the pod might remember this name, Dr. Robert Johnson, the man responsible for mentoring both Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe. He was instrumental in uh, both of their successes. And we are looking right now at a picture of Carolyn with Arthur Ashe, the most extraordinary picture. It's it's wonderful. So big thanks to Carolyn's daughter, Carol Allen, who is a friend of the pod and sent us all of this info. Uh, a reminder that a new edition of Tennis Relived is now available for friends. It's called The Movement. And it recounts David's memories of being at the ATP in the early noughties as the men's tour tried to market the next generation after Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras language, which might be a little familiar to you. Uh, We also have two more bonus pods for friends coming soon. Tennis Relived about the life and career and legacy of Nick Bollettieri and a QA and a with the three of us. That's all coming in the next week for Friends of the Pod. So if you would like to become a friend to gain access to all of that, the link to do so is in our show notes. Uh, Matt is wearing his Arthur Ashe jumper in tribute to to Carolyn and Dr. Johnson and Arthur Ashe. David mistook it for uh, or or speculated that it might be an Arthur Feast jumper. (laughs) Don't get ahead of yourself, David. No one's making jumpers for him yet. I, I thought I would uh, begin the marketing campaign for the next, next, next generation, <laughs> uh, which uh, I'm very much hoping hoping that Artifice is going to be part of. But no, I was just being silly. Well, David had Artifice on the brain because uh, he'd decided just to have a little look up of his results to see how he was faring in his transition from the juniors to the seniors. Answer, for the time being, not very well. 
but we still not believe. Not on clay, anyway. Not, not on clay. We, we believe. <laughs> we believe. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yes, I just loved that intro backstory so, so much. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I need to be good on today's podcast because that's a, that's, a, that's a high bar early to, to leave It is, that. isn't it? So yeah, big thanks to Carolyn's daughter, Carol Allen, um, for telling us all of that. And big thanks to Carolyn for that wonderful intro to this edition of the Tennis Podcast, which is brought to you in association with On Location. The premium hospitality and experience provider On Location took us to Indian Wells last month. My tan has faded. It's a it's a sorry state of affairs. Um, but it does mean that we can vouch for the brilliant experiences that they provide at tennis tournaments. They provide packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including the US Open, which is on sale now with fantastic seats, hospitality, hotel packages available for the year's final major event at Flushing Meadows in New York. Go to... And we have a new URL for you today, folks. Hold on to your hats. Go to onlocationexp.com forward slash TTP to see what they have to offer. That is onlocationexp. Uh, that's, um, oh gosh, what's what's E in Epsilon? Looking forward to this. <laughs> Echo? Echo X-ray Papa dot com forward slash ttp tango tango papa uh there we go Very good should have uh thought through the phonetic alphabet <laughs> uh before On embarking upon that but there we go right then uh without further ado or more ado uh let's start talking about the week that has been in tennis we most prominently had two 500 events on the women's side in Stuttgart and on the men's side in Barcelona. Those events were won by Iga Svontek and Carlos Alcaraz. Surprise, surprise, folks. In Stuttgart, we had the world numbers one and two facing off in the final. Iga Svontek beating Arena Sabalenka 6-3, 6-4 in... <sighs> what... Until three all in the first set was shaping up to be really, really epic. I thought there was a tingle in the air. There was a real sense of atmosphere. It was a packed crowd as it so often is in Stuttgart. It's such a well-attended event and uh, and really well staged. And there was a a crackle in the air, a feel of this is something special here. This could end up being a a Graf Seles type thing. We might be able to look back in 10, 20 years and say, God, we saw Svantec and Sabalenka facing off at their respective peaks how cool was that um and up until three all in the first set I felt like it it was that match and then Svantec found an extra gear a gear that she might not have been able to find were it not on a clay court it was a reminder for me that match certainly the acts two and three of that match were a reminder of what Svantec as brilliant as she is on on hard courts, and she is what she has on clay, above and beyond the others. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I think it was significant that she found that gear because that's been what has been missing from Iga Swiatek's season so far. You know, whenever she's come up against a player going toe to toe with her with a lot of power, be it 
Jessica Bagula right at the start of the season in United Cup or Elena Rabatkino on a couple of occasions. Shvontek hasn't hasn't quite been able to to stay with those opponents and has ended up losing in, in straight sets. But here, she found that extra gear and I completely agree. She has won 41 of her last 44 matches on clay for a reason. And to watch her on that surface is pretty mesmerising actually because she can move and defend and get herself in position just like just like no one else can and sort of force Sabalenka to overhit a little bit and make some errors which which other opponents weren't able to bring out of Sabalenka and of course she's got her own power and ability to hit winners as well she's just the full package on on clay and yeah I was I was so so impressed by that performance I thought Svantec's intensity was matching Sabalenka's right from the beginning which is you know very difficult to do Sabalenka is one of the most intense players on the tour and yeah it was it was a real treat to watch Igor Svantec play like that and also to just have this continuation of the WTA season that we've had where all of the big events have had at least one, if not two, of the very best players in the world in the final. You know, we are we are seeing the best players play each other more than we have in the past few seasons. And of course, Fiontech, Sabalenka, Rabatkina are the three that are standing out. And I'm I'm really enjoying uh, seeing these matches week in, week out. It feels to me. David, I know it's only an ATP 500. I know she, a WTA 500 rather. I know that she won that tournament last year. She has bigger challenges ahead in this clay court season. But it actually felt to me like quite an important win for Svantec, both the tournament and that final over Arena Sabalenka. Because while she's been world number one and she's had a great season so far, actually she's been sort of the third most spotlighted player this season. She has been in the shadow of Sabalenka and Rabatkina. I think she needed to say, she needed to be making that statement, "Uh, okay, Uh, okay, in uh, Daniel Medvedev voice, Uh, but we're on clay now. We're on clay now and this is is my house. You are the challengers, I'm the one. Uh, I'd agree with that. Uh, I think she, she's been losing the big ones. She's been as dominant as you could be between the big ones of of playing against Rebecca and Sabalenka or winning the, the Grand Slam title that she so seeks. Obviously, that went to Sabalenka at the Australian Open in that incredible final against Rebecca. And, and yes, we've, we have been sort of loosely talking about a big three. But I remember at the end of Indian Wells, I felt like, oh, she could do with a good Miami. And of course, Miami didn't happen in the end for her. And I think that in hindsight, that must have been a good choice. She'd had some ill health. She'd had an injury, however serious. She'd had something, you know, and she wasn't quite right. And um, and here she is now coming back to her most comfortable surface of the lot. I mean, I think she is the closest thing in tennis that we've got right now to Nadal or Evert, I think, on a, on a surface. I suppose Djokovic at the Australian Open as well, and maybe Wimbledon. But she feels that level of dominance approaching. Obviously, she's not, you know, Nadal's won 14 French Opens. She, she may win five or something. But it's it's she's starting to amass a streak, uh, numbers, 
and feel on a surface that it doesn't really matter who she's up against she's going to get the better of them and and I think it, it's right against Sabalenka I loved the way in this tournament because of all the big players were playing together they were all making statement wins every other day you know Sabalenka facing Krichikova and really thrashing her, giving, beating her comfortably a couple, a few days ago, and coming to this point and playing as well as she can play, really looking on that surface anyway, which I don't consider her best surface. Uh, that she she's clearly not as comfortable moving around as Shvantec is, but she took it to her, and yet Shvantec is good enough to have the answers. And uh, and I think you're right. I think she needed to remind herself against one of those two that her best tennis is still good enough. Um, I don't think there were doubts, but you have to just keep proving it. That's the beauty of this tennis circuit is they keep meeting all the time. Be interesting in Madrid, won't it? Because while it is a clay court, it's a very different kind of clay court, isn't it? I mean, Sabalenka has won there before. I think of Sabalenka actually as the type of player while she's not as comfortable on clay generally as Svantec. In Madrid, at the altitude, it it could make things a bit different. And while I think the the conditions in Madrid make it less relevant in terms of French Open form, um, how things might shake out in terms of a sort of a blueprint for the French Open, you know, if these players are going to be meeting, you know, more weeks than not, then the head-to-head starts getting important, doesn't it? Whether you've had recent wins over these, over your rivals, becomes a factor and I don't know we get ahead of ourselves but if they were to meet again in in Madrid I think Sabalenka's got to be making the most of the advantage that the conditions give her to 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 get a W there oh god that sounded so American I instantly hated myself when I said that I'm so sorry you're going to use clutch and winningest in a minute as well. Winningest. <laughs> um, what else happened in Stuttgart this week? Uh, Ons Jabeur injured, desperate heartbreak, just as she had sort of hit this extraordinary form out of nowhere that we were talking about from from Charleston. She looked pretty much back to her best in Charleston, which as discussed, seemed to come from nowhere, but we were all very much here for it. And she seemed to be continuing that on the indoor European clay. And then she gets this calf injury, um, which was clearly very acute um, from the outset, wasn't it, in her in her semi-final? And it's all a very unclear picture now for Ons Jabeur. So basically, scrub all of the excitement that we expressed uh, in the podcast, it was two podcasts ago, wasn't it? The one we recorded a bit late. Just go back. We just go back and edit that out, David. Maybe. <laughs> no, honestly, that I, I, I let's just hope it's not serious because it was exciting as a prospect that semi final because I feel as though Jabir believes in herself sufficiently and has been when she really gets on a hot streak, she just does. She brings something different to the table that. She believes in, I think, and even against Svantec, she believes in it. She's going to take it to her, and and I feel like she's got less of a uh, a steady floor of of level than the others have got. But my goodness, when she gets a, a spark, like a little peak in her form, it's it can take everybody out of the equation. 
And I would love to have seen that with her fully healthy in this match because, you know, she was coming in with with some seriously good wins and a run of form. And yeah, I mean, and calf injuries are not not fun. I mean, it, it, you you you've got to be careful with that. And now points to defend in Madrid. Mm, yeah. a, a thousand no fewer than a thousand to defend in Madrid of course yeah she, she's still in the Madrid draw at the time of recording but I guess she's she's going to see how it goes this week before she has to take to the court I did quite enjoy uh, Igor Sviontek apparently said to Ons Jabeur on the court you know when when Jabeur had to retire I'll see you in the Roland Garros final or we're we're probably going to play the Roland Garros final which which I thought was both uh, indication of the confidence that Igor Sviontek feels on this surface, that she's happy to go around saying that. And also, you know, could well be could well be the case. I think that was the Roland Garros final that a lot of people were predicting last year. Uh, but obviously, Ons Jabeur crashed out on the on the Sunday of the French Open. Uh, but if if Jabeur is is fit, I definitely think that's that's a possible Roland Garros final based on how good we've seen Jabeur be on on this surface. Was that also potentially a very, very sly way of poo-pooing the concept of, quote, the new big three <laughs> from Iga Schwantek? And could that have been a source of some of the aggro between Sabalenka and Schwantek in that final? Because it was a it was it wasn't pantomime aggro, it was like a simmering slightly uncomfortable edge to that match and I there were moments where I wondered if I was imagining it because I thought no no one's got beef with Igor Svantec um and then Arena Sabalenka hit a full body shot overhead at Igor Svantec I mean in her slight defense this is only minor mitigation Svantec did seem to be sort of charging towards the ball um, as Sabalenka hit it, but she had the whole court open, Sabalenka, and Svantec really had to dodge out of the way. And she did hold her hand up in apology, Sabalenka, but her back was turned to Svantec. It was not a warm, genuine apology uh, uh, that you might expect from somebody that's just sort of done an attempted murder. <laughs> uh- I must say, I thought that was mostly on Sviontek. You know, she she completely ran towards this smash at full pace and Sabalenka was literally on top of the net. Um, I guess Sabalenka may well have seen Sviontek out of the corner of her eye, but she was focused on putting that ball away. I don't think she was expecting Sviontek to be right there. The one that got me was the was the handshake at the end. It wasn't It wasn't a warm handshake like, Sabalenka very often gives. It was it was quite short. It was quite curt. Good. It, it was very cold, and that continued into the you know. There's that awkward period of time after finals, isn't there, where the 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 winner and the runner up have to pose with their trophies side by side, where a a David Law type figure is sort of pointing them and telling them where to smile. And usually, there's a little bit of jolliness, isn't there? Usually, the runner up has to just sort of. Smile through through gritted teeth and just do a bit of perceived bants, and there was nothing, not even eye contact. It was, it was cold. It was really cold. I, I did notice that uh, Sabalenka sort of motioned as if to playfully smash her trophy into the Porsche. <laughs> that which, uh, was iconic. Which... 
David. That <laughs> was absolutely me. iconic. Yeah. And did it while Shiontek's back was turned as well. I mean, I'm sure she's seen it uh, on social media. But at the time, Shiontek would have had no idea that Sabalenka was sort of mock vandalizing her <laughs> her new Porsche. Which, um, uh, which Fiontek sort of drove at some haste around the court with with a lot of small children on it. it and was, it did worry me It was somewhat. quite fast, wasn't it? There was a sort of unexplained <laughs> man in the passenger seat. And I thought, if he's wasn't a chaperone, he needs... Oh, was it? I think I think I I heard I heard her dad was present and she was going to give it to her dad. Well, he should so have been telling her, her to put the brakes on. <laughs> it was she sure. was careering around that court, wasn't she? It didn't a, a, a very slippy clay court. I don't know. It it made my heart mm. was in my mouth a little bit. Just on the, on the sort of the the frostiness out on the court between the two, if 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 that's indeed what it was. And and I think there was, you know, look, it, you're right, it wasn't all jolly and cuddly. My first reaction is good. I, I like to see that because I want them to, I want them to really want to win and not be afraid to show it. And, and, and they're, they're two players that expect to win when they're in big matches. And I love that about them. They both bring it. And and I think Sabalenka was really pissed off not to win. And, that, and she showed it. The other element that has to be considered is whether this was war-related mm. uh, in terms of Igor very vocal, very visible and continuous support of Ukraine by wearing the flag on on her her hat and by continually referencing Ukraine in her speeches and obviously Sabalenka from Belarus a player who was banned from Wimbledon last year as all the Russian and Belarusian players were who knows whether she feels put out by Sab- by Shvantek effectively calling for for those players to be banned or at least supporting that as a as a measure um maybe not in so many um specific words but i mean i think that that is is definitely the the, the suggestion and who knows i i don't have evidence of that but i mean that that could be part of it um from from both sides but um Generally speaking, I, I think we are overdue a rivalry in which two players don't exactly ham it up as friends and just yeah. have prepared to just come and be competitors against each other. Yep, I'm absolutely fine with it as well. I just think it's notable because of the people involved. You don't you don't usually see that from them. Um but yeah, I, I've got absolutely no problem with it at all. Um over in Barcelona, the uh, the 500 event there was won by Carlos Alcaraz. He beat Stefanos Sitsipas 6-3, 6-4 in the final. Just before we talk about that match and the tournament, um, we've got a fairly good comparison point here. It's Stuttgart and Barcelona, both 500-level events, same ranking points on offer, similar um, depth of fields in terms of top players, very, very similar Winners in terms of stature, status, star power. Um, here are the respective prize money checks that Alcaraz and Shiontek took home. For Alcaraz, it was €477,000. And for Igor Shiontek, it was €104,000. Um, the crowds were were packed for, for both tournaments. Um, I couldn't see a spare seat in the house for, for Stuttgart. And as I say, that is 
That is pretty much always the case there. And for anybody saying, oh, but Shvantec won a, won a car. Yeah, and if this were an anomalous prize money um, disparity, then maybe the car would be an explanation. But this is not in any way an anomalous prize money disparity. I mean, there are bigger disparities between equal sized events, even in the same location on the tour. What, what was the prize money, David, for the ATP 250 in Doha relative to the WTA 500 in Doha earlier this year? It was uh, 209,000 to Daniel Medvedev for winning the ATP Doha 250 and Igor Fiontek won Less than a third of that uh, for winning the 500 event, $68,000. So, you know, same place, different week. As a lot of people point out, different tours. um, But that is a staggering difference in in prize money. It's staggering and it's, it's just unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. I know there are a million reasons this isn't recriminations on the WTA for that being the case i know they would desperately love to to pay equal prize money and would do it in a heartbeat and they're not in a position to and a lot of people would say you know this is why they've had to make the decision to go back to china if they ever want to be able to be up in their prize money game they have to you know prioritize that ahead of of ethics whatever 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 there is all sorts of what boundary you can have but the bottom line is nobody should be considering this acceptable the men should not be considering this acceptable i want to hear some men saying noticing this and going wow this doesn't feel right it's just not right so we don't need recriminations about it i know it's a complicated landscape we just need to all agree this isn't right what can we do to work towards a world where we have equal prize money rather than, oh, but market forces and, oh, but, you know, you win a car and, oh, but, you know, it's different tours and the WTA is a mess and all of that. Fine. Any of those things might be true, but we can't be having this. And we need to be shouting that from the rooftops and just all agreeing that we need to work towards a solution. And that includes the men. Well, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal both want combined tours, don't they? Mm. They want them to merge, as they told us in uh, on Twitter about two or three years ago. Um, and loads and loads of people agreed with that. All the men agreed with it at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I it, it is quite shocking when you put it out on Twitter. You just, which I do, and I do it every time one of these events happens. And the degree of sexist abuse that i get is staggering really the amount of people who just say how hard is it for you to understand that these are two separate tours bringing in x amount of different amount of money each and therefore they can't pay the same the point is as you've said isn't it a good idea if they if they are paid the same wouldn't that be good wouldn't that be like the dream the goal the ideal and to have combined tours that celebrated both and worked together and as we've seen we've got madrid coming up now combined tournament paying the same prize money it's an elevated event everybody's going to be there yes it feels a bit too long and we'll go on to that later but even so men and women are playing together and andrea gardenzi the chief of the atp has said that is when tennis is at its best it's 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 unique selling position is it's men and women playing the same sport and 
it's the best women's sport in the world at the moment and if it wants to keep its position then we all need to cherish the fact that we are in that position I think yeah look if 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 your reaction to and I, I, I doubt this is the case for many people listening to this podcast because we know our listeners and we know how how cool you all are but if your reaction to seeing that prize money disparity is to try and defend it rather than to think oh well how can we try and change that then again Daniil Medvedev Medvedev voice (laughs) have a look at yourself in the mirror I really need to work on my if I'm going to use his lines so often I really need to work on my Daniil Medvedev voice Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Anyway, rant over. As David's uh, alluded to, there might be another rant to come later. A little little teaser for you there. Uh, But first, Carlos Alcaraz uh, winning Barcelona his first time defending a title uh, because he is, after all, still a teenager and he's still doing things for the first time. Um, and it was it was a pretty comfortable victory for him in the end, wasn't it, over Stefano Sitsipas? There was pretty similar to the Stuttgart final. There was a period at the very start where you thought, oh, hang on, hang on, could this be interesting? And then, oh, no, Alcaraz has got a gear that... Tsitsipas doesn't have and potentially nobody else has and actually he's just better um, and that's probably the case on all surfaces for Alcaraz and Tsitsipas right now I thought I feel like that match should be a tough one to take for for Stefanos Tsitsipas I'd like to really peer into his soul 
I take that back. I never want to peer into <laughs> Sitsabas's soul. But uh, you know what I mean? On, I'd like to experiment. really, really know <laughs> how much that one hurts and how much it makes. Does he... You've got to find a way to walk away from that match and think, okay, but I can do these things better. I can work on these things. I can do this different tactic. And I, and I, I believe I can beat him. But I don't think he can. I don't think he can beat Alcaraz unless Alcaraz has a, a bad day. Discuss. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I would say to defend Sitsipas at the moment is that he isn't playing his best tennis right now. I, I don't think he's at his absolute best over the last few months. He's had the injury, even stepping on the clay this, this past couple of weeks. I don't think it's been peak Stefanos Sitsipas. I think he can do a bit better than that against Alcaraz, but even peak Stefanos Sitsipas, I don't think would be beating Carlos Alcaraz. This was such a complete performance, so dominant. Um, Sitsipas was getting nowhere near Alcaraz's serve. You know, okay, he broke him early on, but then for the rest of the match, he was barely winning points behind the Alcaraz serve. And on clay, when when Sitsipas has got time to be able to get that sort of slightly problematic return, he's got more time on clay. It's normally better. And it was just exploited. You know, Alcaraz pinned him in the backhand corner, exploited the space... And he was either overpowering him with a with a forehand that, you know, is pretty much the best in the world, or he was pushing him so far back and drop shotting him. And I think he, he ended up with almost almost double figures drop shot winners from Alcaraz. It was it was just an absolute masterclass in in that performance. And, you know, yet again we've seen Alcaraz in a big match, just as we saw in Indian Wells against Medvedev in the final just go up another level and his his performance in that final was was better than it had been all week and yeah you know the idea that there would be question marks over Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic will will come on to that I'm sure and yet to me the French Open doesn't feel very open you know if you if you'd said that before that Nadal and Djokovic are both struggling with injuries you'd think well there's probably five ten guys who could win the French Open and it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like, okay, Nadal and Djokovic would be legitimate contenders, of course. They would be the favourites. But if they're a bit injured, and even if they weren't, Alcaraz is is right there and is, is a level above anyone else in the field. And I think, based on his clay court prowess, Sitsipas would, would probably be the next guy. And we saw the gap this week between Alcaraz and Sitsipas. It is, it is pretty scary. Here's a conundrum for you that it occurred to me. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But last year, Alcaraz won Barcelona. He won Madrid. And then he took the decision not to play Rome uh, because, you know, he had the matches he needed. It would have been potentially too much tennis ahead of Roland Garros. And at Roland Garros, he doesn't play his best, quite frankly, does he? He loses out to to Alexander Zverev in that match where, you know, he just wasn't firing for the first two sets and he had to save match point, didn't he, um, in a previous round. You know, he he was never at his Barcelona-Madrid best at Roland Garros. I think the optimum preparation for Alcaraz for the French Open is to be playing Rome and ideally winning Rome. But if he wins Madrid again this year, which... There's no Nadal, there's no Djokovic. He is 
heavy favourite to do, I would say it's probably <laughs> potentially a bit too much tennis for him to then go on and p- play Rome. But then he's not played Rome and he's got a three-week gap ahead of the French Open. Um, but he can't not play Madrid because that's in Spain. I mean, maybe this is a conversation to be having in two weeks' time if he wins Madrid, but it's a it's a bit of a conundrum for him, I think. Yeah, although I do think this is where, and we're going to have this rant later about the about the two week Masters events. I think that helps him here. You know, last year, if he won Madrid as he did, beating Djokovic and Nadal back to back, that was you know a big effort. He'd have had to play two or three days later in Rome, whereas now. He's got probably a week between the you know the final of Madrid and his and his first match in Rome. So I think I think the equation is a little bit different this year. But I agree, it's it's an awful lot of of tennis to be playing going into a Grand Slam. You know, he's never won seven five set matches on clay before. You know, that's that's maybe even a bit a bit different to doing it on on a hard court. So it's definitely something for him to consider and. As you said, he's he's not going to skip Madrid because it's it's the home tournament. I think he'll end up playing both this year, though, because of because of the different schedule. So we've we found something good about the <laughs> the extension of these events to, to two weeks. I, I think it's good for him. It is good for him, and it's good for contenders generally who want to go all the way and helps them to be able to play all these events and still feel fresh enough and ready for a Grand Slam. I, I think he will play both. I think he should be playing both. I, last year, I liked the idea of him winning Madrid and then leaving the rest of them to Rome. Didn't work out as I as I anticipated, but he's a year on. He's a year more experienced. Nadal used to play all of them, all of them. And, and I mean, the, the question mark over Alcaraz is only one of injuries, I think. I don't think he's going to run out of steam. I don't think he's got an energy problem at all. And I don't think he's going to have an energy problem whether he plays every day between now and the French Open final. Um, but he has been injury prone. So that is a question mark. Mm. We saw it in Miami. He pulled up a bit lame at the end of that tournament and, and he needs to avoid that, obviously, ahead of the French Open. So I think you, you take a view on whether he's injured or not. I, I agree. I think Rome is really important to him this year. Even if he doesn't win it, he doesn't need to win it to be a massive contender at Roland Garros. I just feel as though the fact that he'll be playing every other day most of the time, plus on a similar surface, even though it's only best of three sets, it's, it gets you into the rhythm of mm. Roland Garros. I think yeah. it's good for him. Um, so I'm, I'm just, just quickly, I had a, a chat with Dan Evans after their semi-final. Um, I, I wanted to know what he thought of facing Alcaraz versus obviously he's ha- he's had a tough time against players like Sitsipas and Medvedev in the past. He, he can't deal with them. And, and I wanted to know what he thought of him. I know they'd practiced together a, a few weeks ago. I think in Indian Wells, they practiced together as well. Um, he said facing his serve, he felt like he could get in those games and and, and it wasn't too bad you know he said he said he's got a good flat serve and a, and obviously that kick serve can put you in the flower beds on the side of the court which is difficult um but he said you know i was i was four love down and then i got back to four two and i had love 30 and i actually thought you know maybe he's getting a bit rattled here i'm so i felt like i could get into his service games but holding serve against him it's just a nightmare trying to hold against the guy. He said at the moment, you've got to remember, he's so young and he's still 
he still goes for the spectacular a lot um and that makes him kind of a bit loose his game is a little bit loose still at the moment I mean I think it's a lot tighter than it was a year ago like I don't mean tighter nervous I mean he's tightened it up there's there's there are fewer mistakes coming off his racket than there were a year ago when he when he had a bad spell um but you know Evans the gist of what he was saying is in two years if this guy doesn't get hurt how are you going to stop him how is anybody going to stop him because he will probably have ironed out any of the kinks. And uh, it, it makes it makes me think that there's a premium on the next 18 months for Djokovic. Mm. Um, that, he's got to make hay now in the next 18 months. Well, he's not going to be making hay in the next two weeks, is he? Because he's out of Madrid uh, mm. with this elbow injury that we suspected he was suffering with in Monte Carlo. He was wearing that sleeve, wasn't he? And... and Reports emerged that he had been seen um, potentially injuring himself or feeling that elbow in practice in the days before Monte Carlo. Um, it's not great for Djokovic. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't know until we see him. It, it <laughs> The significance of that Monte Carlo defeat, we won't know until we could look back in hindsight and go... Well, the evidence was there, wasn't it? He was grouchy, he was injured, he was not happy with the world. But equally, we've seen him lose those type of matches in Monte Carlo plenty of times before and it's ended up meaning not very much other than it's his first matches on clay of the season and he's adjusting and finding his feet. I don't know, but I can definitely see a world where it's it's that first scenario. Of course, this is not ideal for for Djokovic at all I I know he didn't win Madrid last year he he ran into Carlos Alcaraz but he played really well in Madrid it was a significant part of him finding his clay form Mm. yeah and then he was brilliant again in in Rome and he was then in the flow and and ready for Roland Garros And, and, and that's been the pattern of his clay court season recently slow start look good in Rome and then absolutely fine for Roland Garros. And it's, you know, it's either taken Rafael Nadal to stop him or he's won the title. And uh, what's different is the elbow. You know, as you said, if it was just a slow start, if it was just him not looking so good, I would I would think it was exactly the same as previous years. But the elbow is an issue. And especially, I think, on clay, because that's the surface where he has to muscle the ball a little bit more and try and get it through the surface you know we talk we talk so much about Djokovic having deceptively a lot of power and because he's such a clean ball striker he can he can get the ball through the court but that's that's mainly on a grass court and a and a hard court on clay it's it's a lot of effort for him to hit through opponents and he just couldn't do it against uh Dusan Lajevic on a very very slow court and also in his first match against Luca Van Asch he was just really struggling this week and yeah he he appears to be in a bit of pain as well so it's definitely a it feels to me like a different picture to the last few years for Djokovic there's still time for him to heal that elbow and and be his brilliant best but I wouldn't I wouldn't be so sure that this is going to be the same clay court season that we've seen from Djokovic recently Yeah, there was a moment when uh, Djokovic was trailing to Luca Van Asch in his opening match in in Banja Luca 
last week where, you know, the, the Alcarazmataz WhatsApp group was alight with, oh my God, Djokovic is losing to someone we've never heard of. And then uh, my brother not so quietly pointed out that actually Luca Van Asch was somebody he had signposted a few months ago uh, after dropping Luca Nardi like a hot potato when he <laughs> went on a streak, which is still on of not being able to win <laughs> any kind of tennis match. Uh, he transferred his fandom uh, to Luca Van Asch. Apparently, he's very good, David, and we should be popping him in the, the art of yeah. feasts. Yeah. Um, box of jumper frogs <laughs> for the next 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 away. gen. No, no, no. Let's not get carried away. Uh, staying <laughs> staying in Banja Luka, uh, Lajovic went on to win the title, didn't he? Beat Djokovic in the quarters, and then beat Andre Rublev six three four six six four in the final. I, I know he's he's won titles before. He's won titles of this size before. Finalist in Monte Carlo, of course, a few few years ago. But that feels like the week of Dusan Lajovic's career and well I was going to say out of nowhere but actually some people have been uh, giving pretty hot Lajovic hot takes in certain WhatsApp groups uh, for, a, for a few weeks a month now David Law. Well he's he's had a couple of good wins earlier in the year and, and he's just not been losing early he's somebody who is really very different when he's playing well to when he's not there's not you don't necessarily just get this standard level from him he's either really really looks slow and as though everybody can take advantage of him and he and he does struggle on the faster surfaces i think stick him on this a slow hard court or a, even better a slow clay court where he's looping ground strokes and you, you know to, to use matt's description of having to muscle the ball well Dusan Lajovic looks like a rugby player and he can muscle a ball. And and it was the worst nightmare for Djokovic to play somebody like this on a clay court like that, particularly if you've got a bit of a dodgy elbow. And so, yes, I mean, I have been saying for a while that I think Lajovic is going is to get some results. Um, I, I didn't expect him to win this, <laughs> but but it was brilliant the way he did it. And and uh, and he was superb. I mean, to beat Rublev in the final when Rublev's just won a clay court, 1000 you know what floor he always brings so i think a, a fantastic achievement and and i don't think you can underestimate how big a deal it is to beat djokovic because the serbian players so revere and love the man it's not that easy to put him away and uh and he had to do it and he did it really well just on djokovic i'm i suppose i've feel like we've seen it too many times before where he has not been 100%, not been playing well, but he gets it right. He gets it right for the major. And he did it in Australia this year when he was when he got a hamstring tear. I think not playing Madrid is really smart. Couple of extra weeks off. He's never liked Madrid. He's never liked it. He loves Rome. He feels like the man in Rome. So go there, feel fresh and be ready. But the elbow is obviously... How can I know whether whether that's serious or not? I can't. And, and he's had a big problem with it in the past. Yeah, I agree. And Dusan Lajevic has had a Carlos Alcaraz problem this year. He, he's lost to him in Buenos Aires, Rio and Miami. You know, what could Dusan Lajevic's his season have been if if Carlos Alcaraz wasn't there? I mean, he's he's literally lost to sort of the best player in the world or one of the best players in the world at, at three tournaments. He's He's finally shown up at an event that... Carlos Alcaraz is, isn't in. 
and he's he's taken out Novak Djokovic and and won the title. And it was it was incredibly impressive, as David said, how he got over that line against Djokovic and then backed it up. You know, it's very hard to do that. I think when you've had such an emotional high, he then he then backed it up in the semi final also against. Um, a Serbian. He beat he beat three of them. He beat Krajanovic, Djokovic, and Ketsmanovic. It's like a sort of Serbian Davis Cup team, just route to the final. And then and then to take out Rublev. And I don't think of Lajevic as a as a great closer. I think he can get quite tight. And he did he did need his double break in that final set. But great scenes when he when he got over the line. Really uh, really special moment for him. It was it was nice to see. Got through a whole segment on Dusan Lajevic without saying agricultural. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of not great closers, mm. I give you Bertik van der Zanschulp. Oh, dear. I do feel for him. I do. Yeah. In the, in the, words, of his, time, in the words of his post on Twitter, this one hurts. Um, and I think it might for quite a long time. Uh, lost in the Munich final to Holger Rune, uh, who won 6-4, 1-6, Served for the match three times. Did yep. Bertik van der Zanschulp. Uh Two match points, although it felt Four like more. Points. Four, Four match points. Four match yeah. points. That's, yeah. that's why it felt like more. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, and desperate, desperate heartbreak. He's never won a title. Um, yeah. Who who wants to take this? Well, do you know, just <laughs> we're all just I, grimacing I, at one another. I mean, it was very interesting listening to to the commentators talking about how 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 he's got this sort of easy power. He looks like he doesn't have any tension in his game and in his strokes and he's hitting winners galore and you're not quite sure where the power comes from and then suddenly that just stopped completely and his arms looked like lead lead weights and and he couldn't swing through the ball anymore and look you've got to give credit to Runa for extracting this from him when he's going through all sorts of physical issues down the other the other end of the court but van der Zanschop should have won this match there is no question about it and and I my alarm bells were ringing by looking at Paul Harhaus on the side of the court, who's a very relaxed, amiable, gregarious chap. And he did not take his eyes off his countrymen for, for a second in the last five, six games. And I just sensed that he knew that his man needed him, needed help, needed help, desperately needed help to get over the line. And it was horrible watching him. I mean, it's the beauty of the sport. I love that about the sport, that it does this to people. But they couldn't be more different in that respect, Runa and van der Zanschkov. Runa just becomes this little mongrel of a tennis player who's just going to drag it out and make you beat him. And and then, oh, poor old Bortic. He could, he could be one of those players that, that, was, that we're talking about in this regard several times more. Well, this way, this this defeat makes it more likely that we'll be talking about it again, doesn't it? Because that yeah. is Sacrius. that is serious baggage that he's carrying on his shoulders now. Yeah. I feel like we're all carrying a bit of it, <laughs> but obviously he's he's carrying the majority of the scars there. 
there's something so cruel about a tennis match like that because I was having such a great time watching it. Honestly, it was it was so fun. I was hanging on every point. It was great. And yet, Baltic van der Zanskulp's having the worst experience of his life. And of course, of course, I felt for him in that moment, but he was contributing to my fun. And, and you know, <laughs> I sort of, I, you know, it, it's a very weird to sort of reconcile all those feelings. But um, yeah, David's, David's right. He just got so tentative in the rallies and, and Holger Rune had, had hurt his shoulder. You know, I was, I was thinking, oh gosh, Holger Rune is going to be another withdrawal from Madrid. You know, he's, he's sort of falling apart. He's played so much tennis. Rune could not hit through his forehand for a, about three or four games in the middle of that final set. And yet, Van der Zanskult kept hitting it to Runa's backhand. And he just thought, you've got to be, you've got to be way more ruthless than that. And, and he just wasn't. There was a really bad double fault on, on one of the match points. It was, it, was, it was your classic choke, I'm afraid. And serving for it three times. You know, not even twice. You know, three times. But Runa was probably as David said, just, just such a pest to have down the other end of the court because I think he smelt blood a little bit. He, he sensed that Bortic van der Zanskort was nervous and uh, he said in his interview he tried everything to just make it uncomfortable and come back and, you know, you've got to, got to credit those competitive instincts of, of Runa and, and that high tennis IQ that we talked mm. about, you know, even with a... Even with a limited game, he was still able to sort of make it work. And yeah, it was um, it was a very dramatic final. And I enjoyed the I enjoyed yesterday so much with all the finals. They were they were spaced out well enough that I could absolutely focus on the two five hundred level finals and watch them in their entirety, and then just hop in for these really fun moments of the other two finals. It was a it was a very enjoyable tennis watching afternoon. Yeah, for once, and I'm I'm quite sure this was entirely by accident because tennis, but for once, the scheduling of multiple finals on a Sunday actually worked out pretty well. The spacing was pretty good. There was a bit of overlap, but kind of, as you say, Matt, fun, fun overlap. Um, that sort of slightly buzzy early, early mm. rounds of a slam type overlap. There was no sort of two great matches starting at exactly the same time type thing which is usually the um the shooting itself in the foot that tennis usually does to itself uh this week we have or this week and next week we have madrid as we've alluded to the main draw starts on wednesday but it won't be till the weekend really that feels like it really gets going uh because the draw has been expanded this year to 96 uh there are 32 seeds and all 32 of them get a bye in the first round, Ben Shelton has a bye in the first round. Yuri Hetchka has a bye in the first round. I just, uh, I just think that's rubbish. Um, so yeah, the the main draw starts on Wednesday. Nadal, Djokovic both out. Sinner is out too, and uh, and Jack Draper. He's having an injury blighted season, isn't he? Jack Jack Draper. Um, the men's draw is Alcaraz at the top in the top half. Andre Rublev's in there. Holger Rune, Kasper Ruud, um, and the bottom half is Felix Auger-Elias, Seam, Stefano Tsitsipas, Taylor Fritz, Daniel Medvedev. Andy Murray is playing Madrid, which is interesting because after his horrible loss to Alex de Menor 
in Monte Carlo, which he described as one of his worst performances in years. And it was bad. It was it was ugly. Uh, he said he was questioning whether he would even continue to play the clay. Um, but here he is. He's playing Madrid. And obviously, he played well in Madrid uh, last year, did Andy Murray. Um, so that'd be interesting. Could play uh, Daniel Medvedev in round two. And here's a round one match for you. Dominic Team against Kyle Edmund. That makes me a bit sad. Yeah, it makes me sad as well. Neither one of them are anything like what they no. were. Okay, moving on to the women. <laughs> uh, can, I, <laughs> can I just stay on, on sad men for a while? And Oh, oh. sure. <laughs> well, I just feel Do like it. there's there's been a big Nadal update since we... Since we recorded a podcast, yes. and it's it's yes, I've it's just bad. casually said there Nadal Nadal's out of Madrid, but yes, it is bad. Go on then. Well, Let's be sad for a bit more. Well, he 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 posted a video, and it was basically explaining that the psoas injury that he had at the at the start of the year is way worse than he was first told and and first thought. He he originally thought it would be a six to eight week recovery. We're now in week fourteen. And he's trying a new treatment because, you know, it's it's not it's not right. He's not able to compete. And it sounded like he'd stopped playing for a few days, stopped training for a few days while he had this treatment. And yeah, it's just very downbeat, I thought. Um no time frame on his on his possible return. And yeah, it feels worse than the news we had, you know, even a week ago or so that he was, you know, not not quite ready for Madrid. I, I suppose I interpreted that as he's at least able to play and it's fit. He's just, yeah, not n- not quite ready. But actually, it sounds like he's he's actually still injured, and I think that's that's a different picture, I suppose, to what we had before. And what is it? I think thirty four days away from from Roland Garros starting. It just time is running out. It's never good when there's a, a video with the update is it um yeah it's not good um Shontek is the top seed in the women's Rabakina Pagula Kazakina all in her half bottom half is Goff Shabur Garcia Sabalenka a potential Radikanu Shontek matchup in round two um so as we've alluded to, we've got Madrid and Rome, as with all the 1,000 events, Bar Monte Carlo, extended to be two-week events. Uh, we've established one positive from this. <laughs> Who would like to take the reins on, on the rant? Well, look, I, I just I don't find it great entertainment um, in the first week of of any of them, and we've got about five of them now, um, so that that's a downside. Um, and I don't like I don't like buys generally, and there are thirty two in each draw, so it's all just I just don't really care for about another six days, and we've got kind of a dead week now uh, until that starts. On the whole, though, I think there are enough plus points to to pretty much negate the weaknesses in it. And and I, I would say that I think it's very difficult to play these things back to back unless you have them over this length of time. And uh, I think it'll help Rome. I think it'll help Roland Garros, uh, ultimately. Um, 
and probably lead to stronger fields in the long run, although Madrid does seem to be pretty decimated in, at the top of the men's draw. But yeah, I, just, I, I only come from it from a spectator standpoint. I just, just get on with it. I want to watch the tennis. And there's about six days where I don't care. I think what we found in Indian Wells and Miami, I know they've, you know, they've been longer events for a while, but even that second week I find is diluted, you know, because you get an amazing middle weekend where all the seeds start playing and, you know, that, that stretches into Monday and Tuesday with a lot of matches happening everywhere. But the last four or five days of the tournament really drag out because there isn't that much tennis to play. And so I just, I just feel like the rhythm of these tournaments is all wrong. Um, I would, I, I take David's point that it's, it's maybe better than, than having them back to back, you know, like, like they have been in the past, but you know, if they've got all this time in the calendar, then, you know, I would have a week off between them and pack them, pack them each into a week. Uh, so you're making the most of those weeks. It, it just just feels like we've got sort of a month now of of Madrid and Rome, and there's going to be a handful of brilliant days of tennis. You know, the rest of it is going to be one or two good matches on a day. Whereas what I love about a Masters is that you know, start to finish, it's packed with great matches, especially when they're combined events. And I just think I just think we're losing that a little bit. But you know, we know the reasons why, and you know, um, I, I don't mind fitting an extra weekend in. I think that's probably quite a good idea. Uh, but for me, as a viewing experience, it's it's diminished the longer the event goes on. Right. That is your lot for rants uh, this week and for everything this week, quite frankly, except for mascot news. This week we have Snorri. And Snorri is owned by Sue Barker. A, not the Sue Barker that you're thinking of, but a different Sue Barker. Sue says Snorri was born in a barn on a farm in southern Wisconsin a little over 16 years ago to a mother who, and I've been thinking about this all morning, to a mother who I was told had had two different litters at the same time from two different fathers. Isn't nature amazing? Uh, Although she's not from a pure breed background, she looks just like a Russian blue and has their personality characteristics of being smart and playful. She particularly loves to fetch her stuffed animals and to chase and bat around her cat-sized tennis ball. She sounds like a she sounds like Billie Jean, <laughs> uh, which usually gets lost under a piece of furniture. Other interests include sleeping behind the TV on the cable box, I presume because it's warm, um, and keeping track of everything that happens in the kitchen. Uh, she does sound very smart, doesn't she? Uh, she is beautiful, is Snorri, uh, and. Yeah, what what a backstory. You learn something new every day. So um, thank you, Sue. And thank you, Snorri. There'll be a picture of Snorri in our newsletter this week. We have our mascots. David has Maisie. I've got Zenia. And Matt has Darwin. Billie Jean King is sponsored by... No, got that the wrong way around. <laughs> Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King uh, and Ilana Kloss. Uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. 
We've got James Nathan, who is originally from Auckland, but now living in Hong Kong. Oh. Right, James. Hello, James. Like right, James, James Blake. Connors. Scott Connors. I always feel like I have to say Scott. James Scott middle. Connors, yes. James Blake is better, You can say though. Jimmy Ooh. Connors or James Scott Tom Connors. James Ward. Yeah. James Duckworth. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Do we have any Nathans? We're on a roll. No, we don't, is the answer to that, James. <laughs> Cheers, James. Thank you, James. We've also got Gregor Schlosser, who is in Berlin. Right, Gregor. And Hello, Gregor. Gregor well, that is... well, Gregor reminds me that Lever Cup is coming to Berlin in 2024. Yes, it's Vancouver this year and Berlin next yeah. year, isn't it? Two and of my... Gregor was very excited about that. Wish list destinations. Mm. You can go and be our Labour Cup correspondent, Catherine, mm. and take in the sights. Yeah, I'm very keen to go to Vancouver. Um, and, and Berlin. Um, yes, well, thank you, Gregor. Almost like Gregor. Mm. But better, yeah. better Gregor. I, yep. I think there is a Gregor, you know. I think there is a Gregor tennis player and... I am just going to try and look him up, and I've got it. It is Gregor Zemlia, a retired Slovenian tennis player, although I don't think the uh, the spelling is quite right. It's, uh, it says G-R-E-G-A, so it doesn't quite work. Different name, David. I think that's just an entirely Let's different try. name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you, Gregor. <laughs> <laughs> and finally today, we've got Vicky Spreadbury. We know Vicky. Oh. And Hello, Vicky. We love Vicky. Vicky, who is excellent, says, in case you're struggling, I've looked for a Vicky in tennis. She says, I'm not a Victoria, Duval. which rules out many. Duval. Well, Vicky has come up with Vicky Burner, a Canadian player, Virginia Slim's tour director and captain of the winning US Fed Cup team in 1977, 78 and 79. Okay, that's better than Vicky Duval. Thank you, Vicky. (laughs) This is a a great new development. People doing the... Gregor could have found old Gregor for you, David. Jemlia. Yeah. Except he wouldn't have because he's got a different name. But anyway, thank you, Vicky, uh, for your continued support. We love Vicky. Yeah, thanks, Vicky. And for doing our research for us. We love that. Thanks to all friends of the pod for making this thing happen. And likewise, thanks to On Location for sponsoring the pod at the moment. A reminder that we have coming your way or coming the way of Friends of the Pod. A Tennis Relived this week focusing on Nick Bollicieri and a Q&A which we'll be recording in person tomorrow. And we can't wait hey, can't for wait. that. So Matt, David, I'll see you tomorrow. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll speak to you soon. 
Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.